Welcome, everybody. During the week, I came across one of my all-time favorite devotionals um, from the book My Utmost for His Highest that I hadn't read in probably 10 to 15 years, but it, it brought back a lot of memories, and I wanted to read just a portion of it. Um, it's called Where the Battle is Won, and it reminded me somewhat of Ignatius and the two standards and his references to battle, but something else as well. But I'll read you a little bit of it first. Our battles are won or lost in the secret places of our will in God's presence, never in full view of the world. The Spirit of God seizes me, and I am compelled to get alone with God and fight the battle with him. Until I do this, I will lose every time. The battle may take one minute or one year, but that will all depend on me, not God. However long it takes, I must wrestle it with wrestle with it alone before God, and I must resolve to go through the hell of renunciation or rejection before him. Nothing has any power over someone who has fought the battle before God and won there. I should never say, I'll wait until I get into a difficult circumstance, and then I'll put God to the test. Trying to do that will not work. I must first get the issue settled between God and myself in the secret places of my soul where no one else can interfere. Then I can go ahead knowing with certainty that the battle is won. Lose it there and calamity, disaster, and defeat before the world are as sure as the laws of God. The reason the battle is lost is that I fight it first in the external world. Get alone with God, do battle before him, and settle the matter once for all. I remember when I first read this, because this passage says nothing about Gethsemane, but when I read it, that's all I could think about. That to me, when Jesus, and I know as Val leads us into the next, our, our next week, we'll be getting into that. And for me, Jesus going to the garden and getting alone with God, it was there that he was fighting out the battle. It was there that he said, I'd rather not do this. And he was in anguish, in anguish, crying out to God and fought the battle there in the quiet, secret place of his soul before God and said, I am surrendering to your will, God, and not mine. And then that started the whole journey to the cross. But the battle to me, as I look at it, was won right there. It was that resolve that says, I am now going to the cross and the decision was made. Um, one of the hardest parts in my parenting journey was letting one of my four kids, sending them off to college while this one was still in a state of, of uh, rebellion and sort of walking away from God. Um, Paul and I really prayed and felt like God said um, that we should give her a few options of schools. We didn't do that with all our kids, but with this one, we said, you know, we really feel like here's a few options. So as we packed her up and sent her off to uh, Indiana Wesleyan, um, it was with a lot of hard, hard feelings. I was still really struggling with God and saying, ah... I'm not ready to let go of her. She's not ready. What, what's going to happen? Because a Christian college in no way guarantees any, any, um, you know, any outcome, right? And so 
shipped her off. We went there with her, walked around the campus, was thrilled with the message from the, the greeting and the just seemed very Christ-centered. But what struck me the most about that day was as we were touring the campus, we came to the very geographic center of the campus. And in that spot, they have a very sort of old-fashioned looking chapel. It's a very small building with old pews and old stone and a cross on the outside. And I just knew we had to go in there. And I wasn't event or scheduled or anything but we opened that big wooden door and it was completely silent and I looked up and I looked for a cross I didn't see one I looked down and there on the ground was a life-size a rock probably four times this speaker a large large rock and a life-size bronze of Jesus splayed over that rock it's Gethsemane And I looked at that, and as I saw that, and it just flooded over me, it was like the Spirit of God just said, I got this. You do your part. You surrender. You stay on your knees for her. You cling to that rock, but I got your girl. And you can let go. And you can let her stay here, and I got her. And I just remembered that thinking, oh. So for me, Gethsemane is so significant. Well, it's eight years later, and I will tell you gladly, it was a long journey for her, but she is passionate for Jesus right now and working in ministry in the Middle East. So it is it was a, a beautiful journey, a, a very hard one with lots of tears and lots of on-my-knees moments. So let me read just a few sentences of, the, of that again. And as I do, you can think about Gethsemane, you can think about your personal struggles and your personal battles. Our battles are first won or lost in the secret places of our will, in God's presence, never in full view of the world. The Spirit seizes me, and I'm compelled to get alone with God and fight the battle before him. Until I do this, I will lose every time. The battle may take one minute or one year, but that will depend on me, not on God. However long it takes, I must wrestle it alone before God. And I must resolve to go through the hell of renunciation or rejection before him. Nothing has any power over someone who has fought the battle before God and won there. Then I can go ahead knowing with certainty that the battle is won. Get alone with God, do battle before him, and settle the matter once for all. Thank you, Judy. I think most of you are aware that we're in the third movement, uh, week 22, staying with Jesus. I want to introduce this week of prayer, and then we have a video clip for you um, as our uh, prayer experience uh, for tonight. Um, we're on page 107, if you want to follow along for a moment. Uh, 
this week starts on a very somber tone. The graces that we are seeking, the grace to share in Jesus' sorrow, shame, and powerlessness. What a big prayer to pray. The grace to grasp how Jesus suffered in his humanness and laid aside his divine power. And to stay with Jesus, to be with him in his suffering. Um, I do want to encourage you that these graces that we're seeking are recommended, but of course not prescribed. So it could be that there's some other desire that bubbles, bubbles up more uh, spontaneously from your heart. And that might be where you want to go in your prayer. But I do uh, uh, just gently urge you to be open to asking for these very difficult graces. Uh, we begin uh, this week with Jesus and his friends as they walk into the Garden of Gethsemane. And then our attention turns towards uh, the suffering that Jesus experienced in the betrayals of his closest friends and his mistreatment by religious and civil authorities. Um, as we began last week, uh, we are invited to experience Jesus' solidarity with us at points in which our experience overlaps with his. But this week I want to invite you to an even greater stretching, and that is beyond our own personal experiences that we are invited to see Jesus' solidarity with all those whose humanity is diminished and abased um, by any, anything, but especially by hatred and injustice. Uh, for these are what our Lord suffered as part of his passion, hatred and injustice. So well in advance of his actual death on the cross, Jesus is already taking upon himself the sin of the whole world. Um, I have two particular suggestions for you as we move into this week of prayer. Uh, the first is that you would be aware of Jesus' psychological and emotional suffering. Most of the time as we are uh, presented uh, with the passion, it's often upon his physical suffering. But I want to bring to your attention his psychological and emotional suffering. I think these stories really unearth that for us, and I want you to feel free to go there. You may have a uh, sort of a, a, an insight into G how Jesus suffered psychologically and emotionally. Um, and I think that's part of how we are healed is because that's one of the ways in which Jesus has solidarity with us in our suffering. And it helps us then to also become people of great compassion because we know that Jesus has suffered. Um, the second I want to bring to your attention is that you would be open to how Jesus might want to reveal himself to you through the suffering of others. So this is an outward kind of openness to the suffering of, of the world. Uh, and first that you would be open to just random things that the Lord might arrange for you. Um, last year when we were praying this, I ended up having this very unusual encounter um, with a man at Bricks, uh, that restaurant in downtown Wheaton, uh, with this um, man from Vietnam who could barely speak English, who was in a state of abject desperation. And I saw the suffering eyes of Jesus looking at me through that man. And it was a circumstance. 
that the Lord arranged for me. So if something unusual happens to you this week, I encourage you to bring that into your prayer and just be open to how the Holy Spirit might want to orchestrate that uh, for you. And the other is to be aware of your memories. I mean, early in TI, we started praying with memories, but it may be, it may be that you had an encounter with someone that you haven't thought about in a long time that will come back to you with um, great vividness. And I want to you to receive that as a grace of the Holy Spirit, that you remember that with great vividness. When I first uh, prayed with this, I had been, um, it had been several years prior, but uh, in a course I was teaching at College of DuPage, um, I had a student in there who was uh, a survivor of the Rwandan genocide. Um, all of her family uh, had been murdered um, in a church um, by the man who was her parish priest. Um, there, with the tribal situations, just something crazy happened there. And she would sit in the second row, and she just would stare at me through the lectures. And her eyes were like deep wells of anger and sorrow. It was, it was very profound to read her story, too. So I hadn't thought about it in a while. And when we were praying through this, I took the Ignatius's uh, advice. And at some point, I like woke up in the middle of the night, as I often do. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to get out of bed. I'm going to go in my study. I'm going to get my prayer stuff out. And I'm just going to be open to praying with this. And I was actually praying through... Um, Jesus um, uh, through his religious trial because you know he has two trials he has a religious trial and he has a civil trial and I was suddenly realizing that Jesus suffered this incredible injustice at the hands of religious authorities and so it brought up for me that Rwandan woman um, the unique religious character of what she suffered and um there was a way that when I was praying, remembering her face, I was just seeing her face so vividly, and I was seeing, uh, like, Jesus' eyes. You know, maybe some of those guys who tried him were the same people that were with him in the temple when he was 12, right? What would that have been like? Um, so just be open to how the Lord might stir your memories. Um, as you're as you're praying here, uh, this is. I just invite you to to be stretched. I think our uh, our more evangelical faith is super individualistic, right? It's just so individualistic, and so we tend to experience the passion in a super individualistic way. Jesus died for my sins, which of course is true, um, but in this, he also is acting in solidarity with all who suffer. And so I hope that you will open yourself to how the Holy Spirit might stretch you uh, this week. So with that in mind, we're going to watch um, a film clip from a documentary. It's, it's older. It was uh, done in 1986 by some very uh, respected uh, French documentarians um, on the life of Mother Teresa. And uh, this particular uh they followed her around for a couple of years and just took all kinds of footage. So there are no actors in uh, this documentary. It's all live footage. 
And um, it was while there was, um, uh, there was a war going on in Lebanon, and um, she was just determined to get into Lebanon because somehow she heard about this children's home, a Muslim's children's home in Beirut that uh, she just felt like she had to get in there and help those children. Uh, and so, one, you see her just incredible courage. Um, but then also you see uh, how she and, and the other Sisters of Charity interact with, like, the most helpless. Um, and I, I think, you know, Mother Teresa, when she would have those, you know, she's sort of famed for saying, like, I never felt the presence of God. And so what this did was drive her to be closer and closer to the poor because I think she actually felt some proximity. To, that's where she met Jesus. She met Jesus in the poor. So uh, I just encourage you to don't take any notes on this, obviously. Just, just take in, take this in. It's about 15 minutes, and then we'll give you a little time to journal, and then uh, George will conclude for us. I'm always impressed by that clip of Mother Teresa. I, uh, I've never met Mother Teresa, but I have met a number of her disciples. Uh, when I was living in the Middle East, my, my boss, this big shot admiral, um, he would send me all over the place. And uh, his wife somehow seemed to know when I was going anywhere that had a sister missionaries of charity group. And um, she'd always find me before I went and she'd give me an envelope and she'd say, when you see the sisters, give them this, you know. And I always wanted to say to her, I'm not going to see the sisters. But she, with that, I was dispatched to locate the, the sisters. Um, and fortunately, they all look the same. They look exactly that what Mother Teresa had on. That's what they wear no matter where they are, which helps. Um, so I would go on these little jaunts, and I'd get my business done, and then I would try and find these women. And um, I had some real interesting cab excursions. Um, they always live in the absolute worst part of town. Uh, and that's where they live. That's where they minister. And uh, sometimes they're, I mean, they're really in terrible conditions. I'm like feeling like I ought to, do something to help them, and they're living there to help people who are even worse off. Um, so it was always just, uh, you know, I, I felt like such an amateur around them. They were so uh, so dedicated, and and I was I always when I would leave, I would always ask myself the same question: How did they do this for a lifetime? They will stay where they are and pretty much do that area for their entire life. I mean, it's, it's staggering. I, and I, I, I would ask myself, how does this verse, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, right? I see them doing that. Go with, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, I, I would scratch my head and, and particularly when I looked at these, these women doing these jobs, I, it, it, was, it was staggering. And then, I, actually, I brought the book, but Mother Teresa, a book about Mother Teresa, it's not by Mother Teresa, it's by her spiritual director called Come Be My Light. And uh, he kept 
her letters, and did, they did spiritual direction by mail. Most of the time, 90% of the time, he kept her letters and transcribed a lot of stuff into the book. And I was reading that, and it wasn't that long ago. I never really answered my own question how they did it. Um, but I, when I read in her book what she said about the sisters, I realized the answer was they do what they do, and they're able to continue it because of profound union with Christ. I mean, let me read you some of the stuff I copied out of the book. She writes about her novices. She says, the novices must be well taught of the interior life. They must be given every possible care and help to understand and live lives of close union with God. They must learn to be contemplatives in the streets and in the slums. You know, the next question follows, right? How do, we, how do you become a contemplative in the streets and in the slums? And, and here's how you get to be one of the sister missionaries of charity. They, daily, the sisters shall make half an hour's meditation. Twice a day, they will do the examine of conscience. The full rosary and the litanies of Our Lady and the Saints and a half an hour of spiritual reading. That's daily. On Thursdays and Sundays... Uh, an hour of reparation. And the, the hour of reparation, I mean, you can look it up. It's, it's when Christ was in the garden and he said to Peter, uh, James and John, I guess, saying, uh, could you not watch and pray with me for just one hour? You know, so they get that hour to be with Christ. And then this, it, in their career, it says, the sisters shall spend one day in every week, one week in every month, one month in every year, and one year in every six years in the mother house, where in contemplation and penance, together with solitude, she can gather her spiritual strength, which she might have used up in service to the poor. So, I mean, they have carved out time for, to, to work on that relationship with Christ, which is uh, what allows them to do this. And to me, I mean, that, that is a staggering reality. You know, I hear that, I mean, it's been around for a while that saying that, especially evangelical Christianity, Christianity is a mile wide and what? An inch deep, right? It's an inch deep. You can't live a life like they live an inch deep. You really have to be able to wade in. And it, it, oh, it makes me think of Romans 8. You know, I, I love Romans 8. I, I think I could I, I think I could preach a lifetime just in Romans 8. And it contrasts, it tells us who we are in Christ. You know, it, it tells us how we went from hostility to being heirs, right? Heirs. You know, part of God's family, heirs with Christ on the same, believe it or not, on the same level. We're heirs with Christ. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Right? We, that's that union with Christ that's being emphasized there. We have that relationship. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
our identity, our union with Christ, the basis for the whole spiritual life. And if we are children of God, and if children heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. It's a package deal. These things go together. They go together in order that we may be glorified with him. And Paul, and he finishes up kind of this thought by saying, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. A vision of glory, the union with Christ, and uh, you know, it puts the sufferings in some sort of perspective that makes it bearable, makes it doable. So that's really what we're about here. You know? I mean, I, I love that line when she says, right, it's doing little things with great love. We all want to do the big things, right? I want to do big things for God. You know, Mother Teresa takes her name from right, Therese of Lisieux. Lisieux, yeah, the French guy tells us that. Yeah. You know, well, she died at like 24, right? She died at like age 24. She's considered a doctor of the church. Why is that? She did little things with such tremendous love. And she did it through union with Christ. So let's pray before we go off to our groups. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you and uh, we realize the gap between us and Mother Teresa and her sister missionaries of charity. And we just come, come before you. We pray that you would draw us close to yourself, that like Mother Teresa was embracing those children, you'd embrace us. And that we would feel that union with you, that we would see its reality. And with that strength, we would be able to overflow to those around us. Help us to have courage. I marvel at the courage of these women. Help us to have courage not to be afraid. And to see the, the glory and the suffering all together. And that it would be just put in perspective by your love. So help us to encourage one another to this, to strengthen each other, to build each other up, that we might show forth your church and your glory. We give you thanks in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Dig in in your groups.